All right. Hey, welcome, Rockbridge. My name is Matt, and so glad to be with you this weekend at all six of our physical locations. Those of you who are watching online connections, and a special hola to our Spanish speakers, because we are one church, multiple languages, multiple uh, locations, but one belief, one passion, one mission, one vision. And so you're not here, however you're engaged with us this weekend, you are not here by accident. So my privilege and honor to welcome you. couple of little logistical Items. We will be observing the Lord's Supper uh, this weekend, so you should have gotten something or, or there should be a way in one of your services for you to have what we call the elements uh, that represent the body and blood of Jesus. If you are watching online, you can find a suitable substitute, and we'll guide you through that later on in our service. If you are in one of our six physical locations, I just want to call your attention to what we call a next step card. This is a great way to communicate with us how we can pray for you. It's a great way to let us know you are here. If you want information or, or someone to contact you because you're stuck or you want to serve or you want to become a member or you want to begin to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we are here to help you take spiritual next steps. If you're watching online, you can comment in the comment section and our pastor Mark will be available to you and will work to get in touch with you and also help you take a spiritual next step. So we are in the middle of our summer sermon series called Wow. And what this is, is there are times we're just going through some scriptures and finding some things that just jump out at us as wow statements or wow insights or wow truths. And so it's just been a fun series and we're excited to keep it going. And today we're going to look at an incredible passage of scripture from the book of Judges. It's an Old Testament book. Give you time to turn your Bibles on, open them up, or you can follow along with me. But the wow today is going to be related to how we see ourselves. It does not matter if you have been a Christ follower all of your life, most of your life, if you are new to church, if you are an atheist, it does not matter what color your skin is or how you were raised. Every single person in here has a self-concept. You have a self-image. You look yourself in the proverbial mirror, mirror and you see something. And some of you, you know, you see something that makes you mad or makes you depressed or discouraged. Some of you see something and you feel average or you feel normal. Sometimes our pride gets us and we see ourselves better than we really are, but we all see ourselves. And here's the prayer. I'll just tell you where we're going. Here's the prayer. What if, and this would be so wow, this would be so wow, what if you and I saw ourselves the way God sees us. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, author of Scripture, we need you to illuminate us and to give us the grace this weekend to see ourselves the way you see us. So we're here with ears to hear and eyes to see the wow truth of your word. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. So we're going to look at a story in Scripture about a guy named Gideon that God takes on a journey, and the journey is, has a very practical, has a military component, 
But underneath all of that, God's working to get Gideon to see himself the way God sees him. So we can meet ourselves in the story. We'll begin in Judges 1 or 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 1, to give us a little bit of background on, on, on the story. Okay, so the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is a pattern in the book of Judges. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years, and they oppressed Israel. So Israel would sin. There would come an invading nation, and, and they would bring Israel under their oppressive reign. And because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midians came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts, and they and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to lay waste to it. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. And this is the common theme in the book of Judges. And then God responds to their crying. And here's what happens. The angel of the Lord came, and he sits under the tree at Oak, uh, the, the oak that was at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abzerite. And he, his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, valiant, mighty warrior. So God raises up someone and gets them to be a deliverer or a rescuer for his people. The irony of the story jumps out at us because here we have Gideon who's hiding and the angel who's calling him a mighty warrior or a valiant warrior. Now, you got to see the humor in that. The Bible's funny, right? That we have someone who's a mighty warrior who's hiding, right? He's not acting like Braveheart, but the angel tells him he's going to go Braveheart. But the dominant theme, let's just zoom back out and look at the dominant theme of Scripture, really from Genesis 1 all the way to the end. The dominant theme in Scripture is this, that so many times God answers prayer and accomplishes His purpose through people. That that is a pattern of God. He created the world, then He gave Adam and Eve authority over it to tend it, to reflect His image into it. Uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, he promised that from the seed of the woman, from the seed of Eve, would come a deliverer. That's ultimately the first reference to Jesus. That occurs in Genesis chapter 3. And then Jesus creates what? A church. So God answers prayers and accomplishes his purpose through his people. Our problem is we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. And let's just take church, for example. The dominant posture in the American church is the same way we go to Walmart or a restaurant. We go to church for consumeristic reasons. We go to church. Why do people pick the church they go to? Because it scratches or meets their preference, irregardless of whether the church fulfills God's purpose. And we are a part of a church that started 20 years ago, and we are a part of a church where everyone sacrificed their preference to be about God's purpose, which was connecting disconnected people from all walks of life to life in Christ because we believe the life in Christ is the best way to live and the only way to die, right? So this is just something we need to see in Scripture, but life and fallenness and sinfulness and brokenness will get us to see ourselves differently than God sees us. And you see that with Gideon because he's hiding and God sees him as a warrior. So what happens to you and I is the same thing. We can so easily live down. What I mean by live down is we live at the level of our circumstances, not at the level of our calling. See what I'm saying? So if your day was good, you're good. If your day was bad, you're bad. 
If something doesn't go your way for a season, then you feel less than. You feel restricted. You feel failed. You feel frustrated. You feel like life is futile. We are just become a victim of our circumstances. We get mad at people who hand us or impact us or give us difficult circumstances. And what we've got to see just what Gideon needed to see. He doesn't see it yet, and we're going to walk with Gideon until he gets it, and maybe we'll get it too, right, by the help of the Holy Spirit. But what we need to see is God's calling for you and I is always to live above our circumstances because our circumstances in a fallen, broken world are not always going to be good, but God's purposes for you are for you and I not to be victims of fallenness and brokenness. Let me read you a passage of Scripture just to show you this in the New Testament. This is from a guy named Paul. And this is power, one of the most powerful passages of Scripture, Philippians chapter 3. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. This is, you know, we've, if, you just think this is a man on a mission. This is a man with a passion. This is a man with a purpose. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I I'm not a slave to my past. I'm not a victim of my past, but I'm reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly, there's our word, call, in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the remarkable thing. We can do, if I said, hey, what do you think about the guy writing this? We would say passionate. We would say disciplined. We would say driven. We would say just pursuing everything God has for us. And let me tell you something. This guy wrote this from a prison cell. He wasn't being restricted by the prison cell. He wasn't living a woe-is-me life because he was in prison. He had a calling to live above that. But calling, as we see in the story of Gideon, calling always starts with how we see ourselves versus how God sees us. And isn't it true? that some of you won't share your faith, that some of you won't say yes to being a bridge builder or serving in the church, even though people have told you, man, you need to get, get in the game, you need to serve, you need to give, you need to contribute. You, because you won't do it because when you look yourself in the mirror, you see someone who can't or God would never use you or your damaged goods or the God, God only uses people like, like maybe the pastor or the worship people or people on stage at church services with microphones. And so the battle, it starts with how we see ourselves before versus how God sees us. So if you said, hey, Gideon, how do you see yourself? He would say, scared and looking out for my, you know, myself. And if you said, God, how do you see Gideon? He'd say, I see a mighty warrior. See, we tend to see ourselves. And this is very true of me. It's true of most people I've ever talked to. We see ourselves based on a couple of factors. What society says is success and every society's got a definition of success. We do in the American culture. It gets a little subdivided based on what part of America you live in. But, but, but society has a definition of success. And so if you meet it, you tend to feel good about yourself. If you don't meet it, you tend to not feel good about yourself. We see ourselves based on what has happened to us. You know, th this bad thing happened to me three years ago, three months ago, three days ago. They did this to me in my first marriage. We see ourselves based on what happened to us and or we see ourselves based on the regrets that we've accumulated. And so when we look in the proverbial mirror, we see some combination of this. And we've got to see something in this text of Scripture. And I hope and pray it grips our hearts. God does not see us this way. God does not see us this way. 
God sees us based on the fact that he is with us and he is for us. Now, what we do is we take this stuff and we say, well, maybe God's not with me or God's not for me. But God sees us based on the fact that he is with us and he was for us. And I promise you, if you lived every ounce, every minute, every second, every moment of your day believing that God was with you and God was for you, it would change how you saw yourself. But there's a tension in the story that's going to come out. And there's a tension that I feel personally. There's a tension, and the tension is this, what we see and feel versus what God says. What did Gideon see? He saw the Midianites who what? Were like locusts. The text tells us that. Who swarmed in and took everything Israel had. That's what he sees. What does Gideon feel? Well, he's hiding. So he feels fear. He feels fear. What does God say? What does God say to Gideon? Valiant, mighty warrior. Gideon, there's a battle for you to fight. Gideon, there's a purpose for you to fulfill. Gideon, there's a cause for you to live for, and it is bigger than hiding in a wine press and threshing wheat to avoid the Midianites. You are a valiant, mighty warrior. And I would say to you, based on the authority of the Word of God, that God looks at you and I, and in some form, in some fashion, God could say to you, mighty warrior, valiant warrior. Because God has a fight for you to fight. God has a cause for you to fulfill. God has a purpose for you to pursue that is bigger than your feelings, your fears, and or your circumstances. But the tension is, we don't see it, we don't feel it, even though God says it. This is what you get from Gideon. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, remember God sees us, that he's with us and he's for us. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? You've said that, I've said this. God, you can't be with me. Look what's going on around me. And, and, and where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? You've said this. Man, I hear stories of God moving over there, God moving in this person's life. He's not moving in my life. That's satanic to get you to live at the level of your circumstances, not at the level of your calling. And they said, he, he, he quotes the ancestors, Hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian? So from this dialogue that Gideon's going to have with this angel, I'll give you five obstacles that we've got to overcome in order to see ourselves the way God sees us. Five obstacles to see ourselves the way God sees us. The first obstacle, you get it here, it's circumstantial disillusionment. It's circumstantial disillusionment. It's dreams unfulfilled. It's expectations unmet. It's, hey, God, I'm 30 years old, and this is not what I thought I would be when I was 18. It's circumstantial disillusionment. It's God, look at the economy. God, look at the country. God, look at gas prices. God, it's hot outside, right? I mean, it's circumstantial disillusionment. And circumstances can weigh, I'm not, I don't want to negate circumstances. They can weigh on us, right? Circumstances can feel heavy. Circumstances can take a life of their own and cause us to question things we would not have normally questioned. I mean, Gideon is a Jewish person. He knows what God has done, but here he is kind of scratching his head saying, God, I'm not sure about you anymore. 
He's just being real and being honest, but we got to get past circumstantial disillusionment because it'll cause us to see ourselves differently than God sees us. And so look what God does. God's gracious, God's reassuring, and he speaks truth to Gideon. So the Lord, the angel of the Lord, turns to him and said, Go, get moving in the strength you have, and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. It's like Jesus' language here. He's, I'm sending you. He says that at the end of his life. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. And I'm with you always to the end of the age, the Great Commission, right? So the Lord says this to Gideon. He speaks. The reassurance of God is from words. It's not a change of circumstance. He speaks words not to bring about a change of circumstance, but to bring about a change of perspective, how Gideon sees himself. So Gideon, you've got the strength. I want to do something through you. So Gideon throws up another one. He says, please, Lord. He stops looking at his circumstances. Now he looks at himself. He says, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's family. I don't have the resume, God. You can't use someone like me. That, that is a disease that is killing the church. Because the church in America thinks that the work of the church is to be done by two or three people, usually the ones that have microphones on Sunday morning. God's saying to you, God's saying to me the same thing. You're a mighty warrior. Go. I am sending you. But we look at ourselves and we're like, I don't see it. I don't get it. I don't think God could use me, which is the second obstacle we have to overcome, which is, I'll call it this, our inner critic and our inner coward. Might be a critic, might be a coward, might be some combination. Then we become self-critical. We, we, we self-doubt. We self-loathe. Maybe it's pity. Maybe it's a victim. Or maybe we're just afraid. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid maybe, maybe God won't. Maybe, it may, maybe God can't use someone like me. So, so the inner critic and the inner coward. And, and the challenge is your inner critic and your inner coward can become louder than your faith. Because your faith should be based on what God has said. So faith and insecure, or excuse me, fear and insecurity can become louder than our faith. And when that happens, here's the problem with it. Then we get stuck, then we get paralyzed, and then we're not Mr. Mighty Warrior, Valiant Warrior. We're hiding in a wine press when we ought to be out fighting a battle. And, and, and another thing, let me say this. Fear and insecurity will always sound reasonable to you. And because it sounds reasonable to you, it seems unreasonable to trust God. And so we think ourselves and justify ourselves into staying in the wine press when we should be out fighting a battle. Because fear and insecurity will always sound reasonable to us. And by definition, then, faith has an element, an element, doesn't it, of being unreasonable. Except for the fact that God's speaking. Right? So God comes back and says, here it is again, but I will be with you. Gideon, I am looking at you understanding I am with you, I am for you. So I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. So again, he uses words to reassure. And then Gideon throws up another one. Then he said, God, if I have found favor with you. Okay, 
I, okay, God, maybe, maybe, I, I, maybe I, I, you're, you're pretty persistent, so maybe the mighty warrior thing is, is starting to take some root. So if I found favor with you, would you give me a sign that you're speaking with me? Please don't leave this place until I return to you. And they work out some kind of sign, and the angel says, okay, okay, okay. And he says, basically says, let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you return. So the third thing just comes down to this. It's, it's faltering faith. See, my definition of faith is a verb. Faith is a D-O, right? A lot of us are like, faith is, well, I believe in God. No, faith is, I believe in God and enough to do what God says, right? So faltering faith is when you take faith from being a verb and make it into a noun. Oh, I've got faith. What are you doing? Oh, I've got faith. What are you doing, right? So faltering faith is, God, would you give me another sign? In other words, I'm going to stay right here hidden in the wine press, God, until you really prove yourself. Now, a couple of things that we need to see about God from the passage. First is God is patient, and God will reassure. But I promise you this, God will never remove the requirement for faith because without faith it is impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six. So, yes, God will be patient with faltering faith because there's no such thing as perfect faith. Amen to that. God will reassure, usually with words, but he's never going to remove the requirement. For us to step. Never. So God reassures, all this stuff happens. And then the scene sort of turns away from the battle with Midian, and, and God zeroes in on Gideon's family. So on that very night, the night all this stuff is going on, the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and second bull, seven years old, and then tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Your father's worshiping idols, Gideon. I want you to tear them all out of his house. So, so we've got a Midian problem, an external problem, but we've got an internal problem inside the family here, Gideon. We've got idolatry going on in your family. So revival always starts with the family of God. We're talking about revival, right? It's easy for us in the church to say the problem is out there. God wants to begin in here, in our family. So Gideon takes 10 of his male servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid, it's not perfect faith, but it's faith, he was afraid of his father's family in the middle of the city to do it. He did it, in the day, he did it at night because he was afraid to do it at daytime. So this tells me something else about God that should make all of us be a little more confident and comfortable. God works with imperfect faith. If God waited for perfect faith, he'd be waiting a long time. He takes any step of faith is a step of faith. This is what I tell people God's like, because so many of us think God has this, you know, God's weight, you know, God's standard is so high we can never meet it. Sometimes I'm like, just get started. Just get started. It's like if you've ever had, you know, when you have young kids and they start walking and they take one or one and a half or two or three steps and then they fall. But what are we doing? We're like, yeah, they took a step. Some of us, when it comes to God, you know, some of us, we don't, when a three-year-old or, you know, someone that's beginning to fall, when they fall, like when they first start walking, we're like, you idiot, you're such a klutz. We don't do that. So when God sees you and I take a step of faith, he's cheering us on because he's with us and he's for us. So God works with imperfect faith. But here's the fourth obstacle. There's always going to be external opposition. I promise you the moment we go mighty warrior, the way God sees us, something's going to be unpopular that you're going to have to do. You're not going to get the affirmation sometimes of people closest to you. I tell people this. 
The biggest steps of faith I've ever had to take in my life, the people who opposed it were Christians. I don't know what to do with that, but I've learned to expect external opposition to any movement of faith. May not be a sign. Sometimes we interpret this as a sign God's not with us. It might be a sign that He is with us. Which brings us to the fifth obstacle that's implied throughout the text. It would be, it's comfortable and easy for Gideon to stay hidden. So the fifth obstacle is my own personal comfort and or my own personal complacency. This is where the dominant posture of the American church is right here. We want what's comfortable and or we want to stay complacent. Don't change anything. Keep it the way it's always been. That's not the way we do it around here. I mean, you go on and on and on and on and on. When the dominant posture of the church should be a bunch of people who are valiant, mighty warriors mobilized for the cause of Jesus Christ in the city in which God has placed them. All right, so we got personal comfort and complacency. So finally God gets Gideon to this point of, okay, God, I'll do it. And then God goes and throws a curveball because he wants the faith and the trust to be in him, not in anything else. So God says, Gideon, you've got an army of 32,000. God whittles it to 10,000, and God whittles it down further to 300. So if you're going to go fight about an army that's being described by the Scripture text as an army of locusts, that's what he said was Midian, and you're going to go with 300 people, who are you going to have to trust in that? If you had 32,000, who are you trusting? You're trusting your men. You're trusting your your military might. If you have 10,000, man, that's pretty strong. That's like a whole American division, right? But we're going to go with 300. So you got no choice but to trust God. And so what this illustrates is how mighty warriors fight. Mighty warriors fight with growing dependence upon God. Mighty warriors fight with humble obedience to God. And mighty warriors fight with present faith. Present faith. What I mean by present faith is I think a lot of people have past tense faith. Oh, yeah, I trusted God at vacation Bible school when I was eight years old. Are you trusting him today? Oh, I trusted God at youth camp when, you know, my, my sophomore year of high school. Man, I threw this rock in the sea, and boom, I gave this away. Man, I trusted God. Are you trusting God now? God can't work with past tense faith because he's a present tense God. He's a God of the living. He's a God of the now. So growing dependence, humble obedience, and present faith. And what you see in Gideon saving Israel from Midian is foreshadowing Jesus saving us from sin. God did it with one man. Gideon did it with 300. God did it with one. And it was Jesus' dependence, Jesus' obedience, and Jesus' present faith that said he would go to the cross, scorn its shame for the joy set before him to save us all from our sins. So it foreshadows, it foreshadows Jesus Christ. Now I want to take a little bit of a detour because it's Father's Day weekend and I, want, I think we need to have a, a Father's Day flavor and talk a little bit about men because I, I think men, and, and women too, but I think men have an identity crisis. I think how men see themselves is under attack and it gets confused and and masculinity and womanhood and manhood gets all kind of thrown in, and nobody's viewing those things the way God does, and it's detrimental. So let me make a couple of points in light of this Father's Day weekend. I think we all need to affirm biblical manhood and womanhood as one of the first gifts and affirmations of our identity in our creation, and that, this, that biblical manhood and womanhood are unique and they are complementary. 
that we rejoice in our womanhood, we rejoice in our manhood. It is part of our God-given identity. It is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And so when God looks at me, he sees Matt Evans, son of God. He sees me as a male. When God looks at my wife or God looks at you ladies that are present, he sees someone made in his image that he wants to or has adopted and calls you daughter, and he rejoices in that. So we cannot abdicate our masculinity, our femininity, the fact that we are male and or female. Now, biblical manhood, though, involves special responsibility. See this in creation. God gave Adam the word. Adam was passive even though he was present when Eve sinned. When God came after Adam and Eve, he called out the man first even though the woman sinned first because the man was ultimately responsible. Accepting responsibility, men, requires commitment. It is a travesty of the American church that women are more committed to being mighty warriors in the church than men. That is a statistical fact. Women come to church at higher percentages. Women serve in the church at higher percentages. Women make the church happen in higher percentages. And we got to call that out in ourselves, dudes. That ain't right. So I think there's some responsibility and commitment that men have to be willing to take. I'll give you three areas. We have to commit to living under the authority of God. We have to commit to exercising self-control and and discipline. Meekness, right, which is strength under control. Meekness, which is putting a bridle in the stallion. Meekness, strength under control. And our commitment, we have to be committed to love like Jesus. And men, we have to be committed to go first. We have to be committed to saying saying, I'm sorry. We have to be committed to going first and saying, honey, I will get the kids up. We are going to church this weekend. We have to go first, right? So I just think as part of this, let's see ourselves as God sees us, we have to include gender in that. We have to include men and women in that under the authority of God, unique, complementary, both important to the purpose of God, both a part of the family of God, both moving forward as mighty warriors in the faith. So let me close with some questions for all of us. How loud is our faith right now? There's a voice going on in my head. There's a way I'm talking to myself, the way I'm looking at myself. There's a voice going on in your head, too. You, you walked in here with it. Nobody even has to push play. It just goes off, right? How loud is your faith right now? Is fear and insecurity louder than your faith? Is your, are, are your circumstances louder than your faith? Is what's happening around you seem greater than what God has said or is saying to you. So how loud is our faith right now? And I pray that today, this weekend, we're turning up the volume. Not on your inner critic, not on your inner coward, but on the faith that God has or that you have in Almighty God. What battle are you fighting right now? And I promise you, if we're not fighting a battle, we're not living our calling. And, I, and, I, and I, you know, I've been preaching sort of in this direction a couple of weeks. And let me just give you the clearest way I can tell you to identify your battle. In the Lord's Prayer, God says or teaches us to pray. And one of the phrases is that we pray is, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in your circle, 
or in your areas of influence, there's areas of your life or your family's life or your workplace's life where God's will is not being done as it is in heaven. I would look there first and go be a mighty warrior for Jesus in that area. Third question. Who can you encourage to live as a warrior this week? I hope on Dad's Day, Father's Day weekend, that everybody encourages their father or their grandfather or their stepfather or their son. I hope we encourage each other to let the warrior God has put in us come out of us. Because I promise you this, every warrior needs encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement. Because it is a fight, and you see the angel of the Lord staying with Gideon, encouraging Gideon. And one of the functions of the church, Hebrews 10, 25, says don't give up the habit of meeting together so you can encourage one another. We need each other. And then finally, the the final thing, and I think this is the most important thing, are we seeing Jesus correctly? Because let me just be honest. Jesus has fought some battles so we don't have to. And you never want to fight a battle that God's already won on your behalf. God has fought a battle to give you and I an identity as sons or daughters. So don't fight the battle. Who am I? Why am I here? God's done that for you. God has fought a battle to forgive you of your sins. You and I just has to have to receive it. So don't think you've got to be good enough or you've got to clean your act up. No, you just have to come to the cross and receive cleansing from the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? God has fought a battle to make you a part of his kingdom and a warrior in his kingdom. So don't sit around wasting time asking this question, why am I here You are here to represent Jesus Christ somewhere where he is underrepresented. That's what we mean. We say it every week. Go be the church. Go live sent. Go let God do something through you. So here's how I want us to end. I want us to look at Jesus. And I want us to receive by faith again what he has won for us in his battle for us on the cross. So you have the elements of the Lord's Supper Somewhere with you, which we call the bread and the blood, or the bread and the wine, or the juice. And let's, before we go ahead, don't, don't observe yet, but we recall that this represents the ultimate battle that you and I never have to fight. On this cross, Jesus won a victory for you victory for forgiveness, victory for eternal life, victory to adopt you, victory to redeem us, victory to pay the penalty, victory to uh, satisfy the righteous wrath of God. So we look at this and we remember Jesus and we see him correctly as the ultimate warrior, as the ultimate victor, and we see him as our king and our Lord and Savior. And so we recall that on the night he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, Jesus took bread and he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this and remember of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took also the cup and he said, drink this, for this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the victory of Jesus. You proclaim that Jesus fought a battle so we don't have to fight it. We don't have to fight for who we are. We don't have to fight for why we're here. We don't have to fight to be good enough. We just come to the cross and receive. Would you pray with me? God, let us see you clearly and correctly this evening. 
And we thank you for being our mighty, our valiant, our ultimate warrior, that you fought these battles, Jesus, so we don't have to. May we receive victory from you as we receive your body and your blood into our systems tonight by faith and this weekend. Jesus, thank you. And Jesus, I pray that you've worked in us this weekend so that we see ourselves more as you see us and that we could walk in that grace, walk in that freedom, and walk in that purpose, walking by faith in every way, every day. Lord God, would you bless your church as we obey you by partaking of, your, of the Lord's Supper. And just with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're still praying, but I just want to say, if you're not yet a Christian, this is not for you. The Lord's Supper is for those who have given Jesus the steering wheel of their lives, have confessed and given him their sins, and are seeking to trust him every day, every way. But for those that right now as I'm talking and you're like, I'm, I don't think I'm a Christian, you can become a Christ follower right now. It's just uh, God's already said yes to you. You just got to say yes to him. So maybe this weekend is your first communion because right now the Holy Spirit is so powerfully speaking and calling you to repentance of your sins, calling you to say yes to Jesus, that you can just say something like this, Lord God, I give you my life, I give you my sins, as best I know how, I want to follow you every day, every way. You have my sins, you have the steering wheel of my life. And if you've said something like that, and it's faith-based, and it's from your heart of hearts, then you take communion with us for the first time, because you now are a son, a daughter, and a valiant warrior. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace to us this weekend. In your name we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And you observe the body and blood of Christ as you are ready to. You can continue praying. You can keep singing. But you observe that whenever you're ready, church. God bless you.